Omis, welcome back to another interview of the week. This week, we have our partnerships lead, Tex, master of, I don't know how many partners you talk to, but at this rate, it's probably in the triple digits. How are you, Tex? Doing good. What about you, Darren? I'm well. I've got my tea. I'm having a, a little banana in, in between muting my mic um, this morning for me over here. Um, but yeah, we've well, we can we can jump straight into things. I I want to know more about your crypto background. Like, how did you get involved in this space? Yeah, um, my crypto background kind of goes back pretty far. Um, you know, I'm a computer engineer by uh, training, um, and when I was in college, that's when Bitcoin came out, and there were a lot of people talking about it. Um, and I didn't really get into it at the time being a poor college student. And, but I remember it coming back up in, you know, 2012, 2013, kind of dabbled around on centralized exchanges. And then really the, the time that really grabbed me for crypto was 2017, uh, for that particular cycle did, a lot of reports on, you know, different white papers coming out was really excited after learning more about Ethereum. Um, and then uh, at the end of that cycle, I kind of ended up selling the top, you know, in December and kind of walked away from things for a while. Life got kind of in the way and kind of came back last year and was just incredibly impressed with how far things had come and you know it's been you know full involvement for me ever since that that sounds like the complete opposite of everyone else's story where they've like bought the top uh, instead of selling the top so it seems like you're outperforming most people from the get-go um typical typical techs just uh ahead of the ahead of things in the space yeah, um, I wish. Was, um, honestly, didn't sell that much at the top. I'm kind of, uh, you know, relatively small bags over here. Oh, uh, no. I mean, walk, like walk us through what that was like in 2017 as as someone who wasn't around then because I was uh, still in high school at the time. But for, for someone who isn't aware of what it was like in 2017, what were some of the things that were happening? How was like, what was the kind of the, the trends at the time and, and what was like everyone obsessed with? Yeah, so at the time, um, I recall, you know, Ethereum coming out and then lots of, you know, Ethereum-like chains that were kind of getting hyped up. Um, I remember writing a report for this crypto investment group that I had with some of my coworkers. Um, and it was on the original Maker MakerDAO white paper, and this was back when they had originally planned um, the currency to be pegged to a basket of international currencies. So, I think it's the um, the SDR that the IMF maintains, and that was completely wild. Looking back on it, how far things have come. Um, mm. When I I sold the top for the maybe the wrong reasons. Um, at the time, there was a, a speculative report 
that came out from a professor at um, the University of Texas and had basically applied this forensic accounting rule. It's called Benford's Law um, to some of the uh, trading that was being done on Bitfinex and USDT. And uh, recently, Tether actually just settled that lawsuit in um, one of the district courts of New York. But um, at the time, that kind of had my tinfoil hat on and was really, uh, really freaking out about some Tether FUD. And that's that's why I ended up selling. So I sold uh, first week of December, and I think it crashed like uh, right before Christmas that year. And those um, speculative reports aren't so bad then. Yeah, um, indeed. Um, and you said you were uh, initially a you know computer engineer by trade or in college. Um, and then, so how did you, um, after selling um, kind of everything and walking away, what was life then for the next couple of years? What, what was your, um, what would you say your kind of traditional background is moving out of college? Um, so, yeah, I was in college um, when Bitcoin was first released. Um, so a while back, and then um, when the 2017 cycle died down, um, I kind of just went back to, you know, my corporate job, kind of, you know, different interests and investing um, with, you know, mixed success in, you know, the stock market. And, and yeah, um, I was at a job doing uh, manufacturing engineering. And, you know, a little bit of programming here and there, but um, yeah, then got back into crypto this past year. And that was actually kind of interesting. Um, I can go into some detail on that if you like. When, when, what was the timeline for getting back into uh, crypto recently? Was it around the DeFi summer craze or was it even more recently? Um, So, it was kind of a, a mixed bag there. So um, what was kind of interesting was right when all of the COVID lockdowns were happening, um, I actually had my first kid at the time. And I remember oh, like... congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, and at the time, um, you know, we were kind of watching covid unfold and wondering what you know life was going to be like at the hospital Mm. and amidst all of that you know bitcoin had crashed down to like 5k and so the the day before my daughter was born i ended up piling like all the money that was reasonably possible given you know impending uh parenthood financial Mm -hmm. problems I, Mm -hmm. i put everything into bitcoin then and then, um, you know, had new parent time constraints for the next few months. And then, um, yeah, fast forward to about like maybe a year ago. And you wouldn't believe it, but at, at the time, like I did not self-custody um, most of my crypto. Um, honestly, I did most of my trading on centralized exchanges. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of a, a friend of mine, you know, told me he was like, "Hey, you know, have have you heard of MetaMask?" And I was like, uh, "Honestly, out of that far out of the loop with it." 
And so kind of started messing around with some stuff. Um, and it just kind of blew my mind. Um, yeah, did some, you know, yield farming at very end of DeFi summer last year. And, and yeah, that's what really grabbed me this time. And I told myself from that moment, um, I'm not getting this far out of the loop ever again. I think once you fall down the rabbit hole, there is no going back. I think that transition from like using a centralized exchange and then moving um, like into a decentralized environment is like you don't really go back from there because you realize uh, just how many more possibilities there are. And also having a friend show you the ropes or introduce you is like really the best way uh, in like helping people understand what it is uh, from, from at least from my experience I don't know if you've um, found that to be similar have you kind of done something similar with that with other people in your circle or do you kind of just let people kind of get around to it themselves because I always find that as, as a like you want to really educate people in a way that doesn't come across as like convoluted um but you, you like you don't want to like force it upon them but you want them to be aware of it um do you kind of feel that to be something that you try and encourage your um friends and family to like at least look into oh yeah um yeah ever since i had that experience to your point um yeah i've tried to play that similar role in other people i know and i've found like kind of mixed success with it some people just find it too clunky and don't maybe understand why it's so powerful you know if you're used to like pretty slick trading interfaces you know just having this weird pop-up and approving transactions seems a little clunky so it's it kind of reminds me sometimes that you know we're still relatively early given that uh, a lot of pain points around user experience are still relatively high with uh, MetaMask, for example. Mm. Do, you, do you think user experience is kind of the be-all and end-all? Do you think there's more things at play um, that are preventing people from jumping into the space? Um, it, it could be that people may not actually value the ability to decentrally trade um and that's kind of one thing that comes to mind sometimes when i wonder um you know what's the next group of people who are going to jump in um i think that you know a lot of people get hooked by either the experience or get enticed by you know podcasts and you know different forms of media can really help you know smooth that but um, yeah, it's it kind of unclear to me why some people either don't get it or um, if they are shown. For example, um, I have a few friends who just, you know, love BlockFi and depositing their Bitcoin in BlockFi. And when I show them uh, DeFi and, you know, the ability to actually earn some yield much higher in lots of cases than BlockFi. Um, it, it's a little surprising sometimes. I've, I found that not everyone kind of gets it right off the bat for some reason. Yeah, I, it could be just a convenience thing, right? I mean, we've seen such an influx of new users through the NFT craze, um, where, whereas like 
maybe you know, these semi-complex financial instruments that are that are powerful. Um, you know, people are more uh, captivated by by kind of you know JPEGs, um, these like little PNGs. They're really fun. They're you know low barrier of entry, and, and like even though the fees on these networks have been crazy, it's it hasn't been a deterrent for volume, which I still find to be kind of crazy. How did you? So if you've um, you know, you got introduced to MetaMask, you start to uh, trade around on, on these different uh, decentralized uh, protocols. How do you kind of leading up to stumbling across uh, Olympus, what was that What was that kind of uh, experience or what did that timeline look like? Um, so for me, um, I think I had been keeping an eye on a couple different projects and one of them uh, that right before I discovered Olympus was uh, Faye Protocol. And so, you know, I kind of participated in that, got wrecked a bit and um, kind of was looking at it and like, you know, everyone thought it seemed like such a sure deal that, you know, when that's kind of the case, um, maybe there's not really as many gains to be had there as you thought. And it's it's a cool protocol. Um, I think that experience of stepping back and and kind of looking at this launch, thinking about you know fair launch structures. Um, there was actually a thread um, by by Zeus and then Sam Kazemian, who both kind of riffed on what that launch looked like, and and I was like. These guys, you know, seem like they really understand what, you know, could have gone wrong here and importantly have some other ideas. So that um, that was kind of my intro to Olympus was um, a couple threads that Zeus put out and kind of joined the Discord and, you know, really thought the community was super cool, um, kind of lurked around a bit and then I've been here ever since. I um I have to admit I tried to go back through your Discord messages in the uh, main Discord to see kind of like what your first couple of interactions were when you first joined the Discord, um, but Discord wouldn't let me go back that far. Um, so was there was there what was your like initial reaction uh, upon you know you you stumble across Zeus's tweet, then you jump into the Discord, and then where do you go from there? Do you kind of you asking around? like asking questions are you diving into the docs what's what's that what's that look like so for for me um my online presence is typically like kind of lurking in forums i really enjoy like reading content that other people create and am slightly cautious sometimes about you know offering my own take on things um you know maybe fall too much on like the wisdom of the crowd side but i honestly didn't really engage that much uh in in discord um just kind of like kept an eye on messages um and then there was a community call going on um so i got in around april and then there was a community call i believe in may um and right around that time is kind of 
when I jumped on this community call was really listening to, you know, the guys on stage and they were talking about like the next stable asset that we were going to add to the treasury. And I'd kind of thought about this previously. I'd kind of like kept my eye on some of the proposals that were coming up and it ended up being Frax. But at the time I ended up submitting a proposal for synthetics SUSD and um, that kind of came about because uh, I actually raised my hand on this community call. They pulled me up on stage, and uh, that had kind of been the first time that I was ever digitally in front of a group of like a hundred omis um, or a hundred people at at all. Um, I had never really done one of these things in public, and it was kind of cool because. Um, you know, Zeus thought it was a cool idea and encouraged me to write up a proposal on it. And that was kind of my hook was just how welcoming and, and, you know, warm the community was, even at a time when the price was just imploding. Um, Everyone was, you know, just willing to help and offer feedback. And I found that really really positive and engaging. And that actually encouraged me to participate more. Got a link to the DAO server right as the reorganization was happening. And um, yeah, just kept contributing on that front until one of the other ideas that I had was the Ave proposal. Do you recall that one? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do recall that one. So synthetics, um, the Ave proposal. What was the? I mean, I've I was around for the uh, the, the great restructuring as well. Um, what do you what do you think the big value add was um, before and after that? Because I think I think before that um, I was similar to Utex. I was a bit of a uh, a lurker. I like to read a lot more more than I uh, put out. Um, trying to do this podcast to be a little bit more. Uh, vocal and and create more a bit more of a buzz but what was what was things like before that kind of great restructuring um into the DAO? was it is it was it kind of chaotic and just like picking up ideas all over the place and um the core team kind of implementing things or um what was that like for in your experience um honestly before the restructuring um my input on it was mainly limited to the forum so that's where I ended up submitting that proposal for SUSD. And then what was kind of interesting at the time is, you know, we were looking at integrations and looking at protocols. And I remember um, my piece of feedback was uh, like, hey, guys, I see we're looking at a lot of different projects. Have we thought about going from, you know, the top down of the list and looking at, you know, these are the largest stable coins that have, you know, some good measure of decentralization and starting from the top. Because at the time, um, and it's really cool that, you know, Frax and Olympus both came out around the same time, um, kind of a new wave of protocols here. But at this time, I had kind of looked at all this die that we had and thought, you know, hey, why don't we grab some A die? For the treasury and when i actually brought this up with 
Zeus and some of the core team, um, they kind of mentioned that actually one of the features of the protocol that hadn't been used yet was the ability to actually deploy excess reserves from the treasury to make that in, an investment so that we don't actually have to bond the ADI. We can actually deploy our reserves um, and kind of earn some yield on it. So that was kind of cool um, between actually submitting the first kind of reserve deployment that Olympus did as an investment. And then also getting uh, the Ave guys on a conference call with Zeus and some of the core members. That was that was really fun. Yeah, that would have been um, super fun from going to like going from posting a proposal on the forum to to chatting with some of the uh, Ave uh, Gigabrains. Would have been a a cool moment or a little pat on the back for yourself. I'm sure for the for the Omis who don't know how the um, excess reserve deployment works. Do you want to kind of do like a quick Eli 5 um, for, for some of the OMIs listing? Yeah, so basically when we actually look at the treasury, there's a certain amount of reserves that it holds to back all of the OM that are in circulation. And when you think of excess reserves, it's basically all of the stable coins that we have that are not used for uh, backing Omen circulation and in the staking contract. So this represents Ohm to be minted in the future based on, you know, DAI, FRAX, LUSD. And in the meantime, while we're waiting to mint that ohm and you know use up some of our runway we can actually deploy these excess reserves to earn yield and actually give us a little boost on that runway and keep our assets active and not um, subject to uh, depreciation over time because um, the assets in question are still fiat yeah that makes a lot of sense and and we've kind of we've granted the treasury team the kind of privilege of being able to deploy up to 33% of the reserves. Is that right? Yes. Um, so the way that I kind of conceptualize this, and it's uh, 33% of the excess reserves. So we're basically two to one rainy day fund. If anything were to happen, we have double the amount of excess reserves for minting future ohm just safe uninvested but because of the high yields in DeFi, we can actually earn yield on a third of our excess reserves to kind of offset some of that depreciation yeah it makes a lot of sense just wanted to give the omis a bit of clarification there if they hadn't heard that explanation before um what what made you gravitate towards like the partnerships role um considering you're um an engineer you know maybe you would think you would like start to get involved in you know solidity and or programming or even a different sphere why do you think you kind of gravitated towards that you know doing deep dives into protocols and connecting with them and building relationships yeah that's a good question um i think some of it ties back to kind of just what i spent a lot of time doing before 
getting involved in Olympus, which was, you know, listening to podcasts, reading white papers, and just trying to find those little nuggets of info that would kind of help spot new cool projects like Olympus. And, um, and so, yeah, from an engineering background, um, like I mentioned, I do know how to program. It's not really my bread and butter anymore. And, um, and so it's, it's definitely something that I feel like I have the ability to kind of, you know, read contracts and, you know, skim code, see, understand what's going on. But it's something that um, maybe from the partnership side of things, it gives me maybe a little bit more, a little bit more varied content so that I don't necessarily need to sit down for several hours straight and work on one thing. I think um, might have a little bit of, you know, attention issues in that regard. Um, so just working on several different partnerships and having a new thing roll in, I find very fascinating. And I think maybe one of the things about me is I would kind of classify myself as a generalist in a lot of ways. Um, mm. So I kind of, I like getting things about 80% done and then kind of moving on to the next thing. Um, and I feel like with partnerships, because there are so many opportunities, you know, it allows you to kind of keep that pipeline active and just kind of engage with other protocols and learn new things all the time. Do you think that's kind of what, what partnerships at its core is like very much, um, getting, getting conversations to 80%, then moving on to the next one, because like, there's only so much you can do, right? Um, because it needs to be, there's like a process in, you know, if something does click, then there's got to be work from that other partner side. And then we have to go through our governance side. So there's only so much you can do and get it up to a certain point. Is that kind of what you're um, referring to with the 80%? Yeah, I think so. Um, Especially when you have this idea and maybe the idea is, you know, pretty fully formed and you kick it over to governance it still needs to be passed and then you have people to actually implement it. And so getting that, you know, nugget of what the idea is for a partnership, um, I find to be kind of the very, the thing that like really interests me because there's, there's so many different protocols in DeFi that um, it's impossible to keep on top of everything. And so I always, I, I feel like I stumble across several new protocols every week now it's it's mental the amount of new protocols that come out on 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 a weekly basis so it's it's important to have this team behind you right that that you have in your um in the partnerships arm because i don't i don't think we could we could do all the all this um research and and deep dives on our own um yeah what what does your day-to-day look like in this kind of environment um you know for omis who have no idea what a DAO is uh, and how it functions. How do you? How would you describe your day, or even what you would, uh, what you do to your um, um, loved ones or your friends and family? Uh, I think my loved ones and friends and family might be a little annoyed with how much time I spend engaged with um, 
Olympus these days um, because it, everything's very busy with Olympus Pro, you know, scoping out new opportunities for partners to use our bond mechanisms, but then also keeping the ball moving on ways to make Ohm useful. So the average day for me kind of looks like, you know, wake up, follow up on conversations that have been happening um, from the day before. We recently started like a daily stand-up meeting with partnerships team. And I found this to be really helpful uh, on a number of fronts. Uh, First of all, when you actually have new people joining, a lot of times they're a little bit unclear where they can start contributing and, you know, what is the documentation that we have. And so having this just quick, you know, 15, 20 minute meeting in the mornings to kind of align everyone, did anything unexpected come up? Um, What help do you need to kind of continue pursuing the ideas that you've had? These are the questions that we get a lot. And I found it's kind of helped foster a more dynamic work environment without being like overly, overly time consuming. If, you know, we just do like a 15, 20 minute meeting in the mornings, and then that's usually enough to resolve questions that people have. Yeah. And it's enough to give people direction, but it's not also like too constraining in the sense that they like cla- they can have things clarified and then move on with their like ideas and and different protocols to pursue is that right yeah absolutely yeah that that makes a lot of sense i mean like we've also heard that you quit your meat space job to double down on olympus what was what was your kind of inflection point or your uh, light bulb moment you know walk us through that kind of um that that time for you and like what was that kind of like feeling like in in like making the leap yeah so that that's funny because it's pretty recently that that happened um i quit my meat space job about five or six weeks ago and It was a little bit nervous. I was actually at my job for quite a long period of time. Um, And, you know, in engineering, you know, it's, you know, well-paying job. um, And there's really was nothing wrong with my job, except that, you know, I found a lot of my mental space taken up by, you know, crypto and Olympus. And so at the time, you know, kind of becoming a stratego for partnerships um, and fielding questions, writing proposals, um, kind of in my spare time, it kind of made me realize that there was this opportunity to contribute. And actually, you know, I I know it sounds a little strange, but, um, or maybe a little corny, but, you know, change the world in a, in a measure, like my time I felt like was better spent trying to help grow this protocol and really hit these partnerships 
you know, hard because that's going to be the thing I feel that makes or breaks Olympus is whether or not we can actually get Ohm embedded into DeFi. Uh, Olympus Pro is this awesome mechanism that, you know, several people in the DAO had thought of independently. And, you know, we kind of worked pretty hard to, you know, crank this out over the course of uh, six to eight weeks from ideation to, you know, first product launch. And this is kind of the thing that drew me to it and made me realize that it was actually worth leaving the safety of kind of my, my previous job and to strike out and try to give this my all. Yeah. I, I mean, it seems like you realized that, you know, like the opportunity cost of not being in crypto kind of full-time or at least, you know, putting your um, full attention towards it was, was too great not to, to fully uh, pursue it and give it a go. Cause like ultimately uh, Olympus uh, can, can impact um, a big portion of the world if it continues to grow at this rate. Um, so, like, I totally, I totally get that decision. I think it's uh, one for the one for the history books um, potentially. Oh, thanks. Do you, I mean, in this last like six to eight weeks, have you, you know, what what kind of pros and cons can you can you draw from working uh, in in this kind of you know startup uh, environment? Because that's kind of how. I like to think about it if I like explain it to friends or um, you know, try to explain to people what I'm doing. Uh, I think kind of like a financial startup is the best way to kind of frame things. How, how do you kind of um, cope with the, the, the startup lifestyle with a, with a, with a, with a kid as well, um, a young, young kid? I'm sure that's very difficult. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that's actually the exact way that I framed it when I was leaving my previous job was as a blockchain startup um, because I think trying to explain to people, you know, I, I work for a DAO is impossible. It's not a conversation that I think most people are ready to have and they kind of look at you a little bit strangely like you're working for a commune or something. Um, but yeah, the, the startup lifestyle is actually not something that I had experienced previous to Olympus. And I think, as I mentioned with, you know, maybe having a little bit of, you know, ADD with partnerships and how that actually helps me in some ways. Um, I find it very engaging um, when things are, you know, new and there's something to be done every single day that, you know, who knows where we're going to be next month with Olympus or three months down the line. It's really awesome how quickly it changes. But then on the flip side, um, one of the constraints of specifically for our brand of startup in DeFi and crypto, because we have so many contributors who are in different areas of the globe, I'm sure you're well aware um, people contribute at different times. And so it's really difficult to actually block out time 
and say, this is my working time and mm-hmm. this is my personal time. Yeah. I've found that one of the biggest challenges. Um, but so far, I definitely feel like um, maybe, you know, working all hours or, you know, feeling like I should respond to this message or question. Um, I still feel like the return on that is higher than kind of the costs that it brings. Yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, it, when you frame it as something you've only been doing for two, three months, uh, that's pretty, uh, it's a, it's a minus, minuscule amount of time when you compare it to like, you know, working in a, in a job for five to 10 years uh, and also like spending a significant amount of time, but obviously a little, a little bit more spread out whereas this is more condensed. Um, but yeah, I, I fully agree. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. What area, you know, of crypto for you uh, do you think is underexplored or underdeveloped? Do you think, you know, where where do you think the next trend, or if anything, it could be like an onboarding point for 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 a new uh, pool of users? Where where do you think that is, and what what do you think that is? Yeah, I think. Um probably the next big things to come out of crypto on, you know, maybe the organizational front is going to be DAO tooling. And so, you know, there's a lot of new interesting tools that are coming out to actually allow a little bit more friendly user experience for interacting with governance. Um, You know, we find this a little bit messy sometimes on the Olympus side, you know, we have a, a structure where typically, you know, we would request um, users to post a, a governance proposal, have it discussed um, before actually moving it to snapshot. Um, but currently we've, we've seen that kind of get out of control a bit. And ultimately with on-chain governance, um, there's really really a lot more complexity involved. And so building out the tooling there, I think is going to be a huge one for how people organize in crypto. And then from a tech standpoint, I think it's going to be really, really interesting seeing kind of the evolution of zero knowledge proofs. This is kind Mm -hmm. of the thing I stepped back recently and kind of asked myself like, what is the next big thing to come out of crypto? And I really feel like due to a lot of broader questions around, you know, like regulatory concerns um, and kind of some of the pushes that, you know, different governments are making around the world. um, I think that the ability to kind of have that on-chain privacy is going to be, really powerful and um and not even just from you know crypto standpoint but you know zero knowledge proofs are going to be a huge leap for the field of cryptography seeing this thing deployed and ubiquitous it's going to be really fascinating to watch yeah so for people who aren't aware of what a zero knowledge proof is do you want to maybe walk through what what like a really quick primer um just just a just a little eli5 for people um that might not be aware yeah so basically 
the way that we have our transactions configured right now for Olympus, um, anyone can kind of go into Etherscan and inspect the transactions that occur. And one of these little features that we have is called Hades. And that actually allows you to redirect your bond payout to a different address. And it stores it, from my understanding, in state. And but so it requires a little bit more sleuthing on chain to figure out where someone actually sent that bond payout, but it's still possible. So with zero knowledge proofs, I am a little uh, not confident in my ability to explain this from a technical perspective, but it's basically a cryptographic algorithm that allows you to prove a sequence of transactions are valid without knowing anything about the underlying content of those transactions. So most people are familiar with Tornado Cash and I think Loop Ring as well as another mm -hmm. zero knowledge protocol. But it basically allows you to store that bit of information and for a touch point for Olympus, it would be um, that bond payout address. It would actually store the actual hashed version of that payout address so that you can't actually see what the address is. But when you actually log in from that address, you can go retrieve your payout, proving that you actually have a receipt to cash in a certain payout. So that's at a high level how it works. And the the mechanics for how it works under the hood are a little mysterious to me, I have to admit. Mm, the, it, it's definitely um, very technical uh, and requires some 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 real DD to, to understand the technical uh, implications. Do you think like a platform like uh, or like a blockchain like Mina, for example, is, is something that would take off, or do you think it's uh, do you think that kind of um, zk tech is coming uh, to Ethereum uh, specifically? Do you think there will be kind of uh, privacy focused blockchains that take off, or do you think the privacy can be kind of um, built into um, Ethereum without having to move elsewhere? I think it's possible to build these systems on top of Ethereum to have, you know, that optionality for users to actually have, you know, hey, here's the area where we don't necessarily mind that these transactions are public. You know, you in some use cases, you do want the ability to inspect things publicly to just prove either ownership or, you know, that a transaction did occur between two known parties um, in crypto. But um, I think, you know, Monero, Zcash are both examples of protocols that I think already have a lot of subscription that have this bit of privacy built into them. I think I think the, the Lego pieces on top of uh, Ethereum makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to touch on kind of uh, you alluded to it earlier in the kind of the what the Olympus Pro process was like from ideation to implementation 
Um, but do you want to kind of give us like a yeah a, a little walkthrough of what that was like in in a little bit more detail and kind of a little Eli Five overview of what Olympus Pro um, actually solves for different protocols? Yeah. Um, so, kind of the history behind it, and you know, similar to your sleuthing in Discord, I tried to go back and find like the first time we kind of started discussing the Olympus Pro idea and can't quite pin it down. But from what I recall, um, the first time that I actually had this insight that the bond mechanism that Olympus uses to bring assets into the treasury, that it could actually be generalized for other protocols. I was listening to Zeus give a talk in the economics design discord. Um, it's really fascinating discord. If you kind of like looking under the hood and how, you know, tokenomics work and kind of some high level questions about value accrual mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of tokens. What, what Laura is doing over there. Yeah. I love, I love that um, podcast and um, platform that she's building. Yeah. It's, it's great. And he was giving this talk about our bond mechanisms. And I think it was kind of um, blowing their minds a bit. And I remember thinking like, is anyone else getting the sense that this bond mechanism, you know, could or should be generalized for basically every protocol in DeFi. And um, I think a lot of us in the DAO kind of had that, similar insight at different times and so we kind of started a small working group with about i think probably about 10 to 12 members of the DAO, and we kind of just started kicking off discussions on what would this look like in practice and the biggest example uh, use case that we found for Olympus Pro is for protocols owning their liquidity. And so basically, a, a lot of people notice that this is happening out in DeFi for pool to liquidity farming. But I think maybe some people don't stop and think about what is the cost to the protocol? Because from the user's perspective, you know, you get some of your favorite protocols token uh, for free for essentially providing liquidity and kind of touching back on my history of getting into crypto again, trustlessly. um, I found the mechanism of yield farming and pool two incentives. I found it fascinating, but usually uh, my experience was kind of getting wrecked um because what ends up happening is if you're farming in one of these you know liquidity mining pools it actually makes sense most times to actually claim your rewards sell half deposit into the lp and stake again you know it's the power of compounding interest that we're all familiar with at olympus now and What ends up happening is that actually causes sell pressure on the governance token that you're earning alongside everyone else as, you know, people compound their rewards to earn a higher yield. 
And a lot of times when people have like a very long-term perspective and, and high conviction on a protocol, that can work out to your favor. It's kind of my impression, at least, that that's not really where we're at and in DeFi yet. And everyone, or at least the majority of people, are looking for, you know, quick returns and it kind of leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth from these liquidity mining farms. And so this Olympus Pro mechanism is instead of locking up your liquidity, being exposed to, you know, the price fluctuations of both tokens, getting these rewards and then having um, kind of that sell pressure impact your holdings um you actually sell the underlying liquidity to the protocol itself which when you think about it the one holder for liquidity who does not have this short-term mentality is the protocol itself Um, they're the most vested in their own success and so having this protocol-owned liquidity mechanism, I feel like, is a really powerful model mm-hmm. where if you tried to get protocol-owned liquidity through another mechanism, and this is where I think a lot of questions pop up for people, um, what are what are your options? You could raise a large amount of funds um, either through, you know, like a... a private seed round investment you could do otc swaps with you know maybe some large holders but there's not a whole lot that you can do to get that like really deep liquidity that protocols want so that people you know can trade and actually you know swap in and out of their token and distribute it to more users there's not really a good mm-hmm. way to do that that doesn't actually kind of play into some of the problems of the old financial system that maybe we're trying to leave behind in some ways. Yeah, well, you mentioned it before. You're like a lot of people, you know, they're left with a bit of taste in their mouth and, uh, you know, the kind of um, cyclical nature of you know, um, a protocol giving out a big chunk of its equity to all these mercenary LP providers. Um, and essentially after time, people, you know, extract those uh, rewards and move on. Whereas like the, I think people fail to recognize the like um, the psychological priming of that and like that consistency, p- the reason why people have these kind of short-term sided um, goals with, um, returns is because the way that the the underlying mechanism is set up is like you know engineered for the short term so people have to think in the short term um, whereas Olympus Pro comes along perhaps you see this you know slight change uh, in behavior whereas like people who otherwise would want to be um, you know um, long-term minded and, and aligned with the protocol can actually do that now whereas that's something that they couldn't do before right yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's I, I'm I'm personally very excited to see this, um, you know, kind of um, make its way through throughout all the uh, all DeFi and kind of work to make pool two a little bit 
a little bit more obsolete. In- interesting example um, that Olympus um, announced recently is the uh, the the is treasure and the how they're actually looking to accumulate a ohm magic pool is one of the first I think. Um, so that's super exciting. But yeah, for the magic ohm pool that treasure is looking at accumulating. Um, this is actually kind of one of the interesting use cases for Olympus Pro that we had kind of thought about was also a mechanism to enable other protocols to own liquidity with Ohm as a base pair. And so as you point out, this is the first uh, example of that in the wild. And also, um, I'm not sure if you saw this as well, but actually uh, just... I think yesterday, um, SushiSwap actually added Ohm as one of its common bases in their interface. Yes, I did see that. That's also crazy to think about. I mean, we, uh, if I recall correctly, I think over the last seven days, we have the most volume uh, on, on SushiSwap for a pair. Um, so glad to see that being implemented as a base pair when it truly is one of the most traded pairs on on SushiSwap. Super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be really interesting as we see more and more pools spin up with projects that are looking to own their liquidity and then also have a base pair in Ohm where um, one of the ideas that we've kind of thought about a bit is the fee that we charge Mm. for... Olympus Pro. Um, one of the ideas that we have to make Ohm more ubiquitous is instead of waiving the fee, um, it's it's slightly different, but it's actually rebating the fee in Ohm to protocols that choose to actually use a Ohm as a base pair. So we would give some portion of the fee that we take for the treasury back to them in Ohm so that now their protocol also has a mutually um, a mutual interest in Olympus, and we hold their governance tokens. And I think it's going to be a really, really powerful mechanism to kind of make Ohm more ubiquitous. Yeah, 100%. And do you think that would come out of the DAO holdings, considering there is over uh, $400 million worth of Ohm sitting in there last time I checked? Uh, possibly. I think maybe for an ongoing expense for these rebates, um, it could even be possible to actually you know, write a function to mint Ohm to return it. But yeah, either, either way, the mechanism works because we haven't quite landed on its final form yet. Mm. But, um, but yeah, those are definitely options on the table. Um, what's the biggest misconception about Utex? Oh, uh, biggest misconception. Um, I think probably the biggest misconception is that like I occupy some place of authority or have, you know, some outsized share of things, but really I just kind of let people know I'm just kind of a guy who liked Olympus and started contributing, um, uh, pretty approachable most of the time but yeah that might be the biggest misconception tex what was this um what was the story of the chess game between zeus and kane 
Warwick. Yeah, this was something that came up recently because um, kind of mentioning that Synthetics SUSD proposal I submitted, um, I had kind of been in contact with uh, their team about, you know, different areas where we could collaborate for, I think I reached out to them back in June and um, they've been really, really swamped, like working on, you know, some of their migration to optimism as well as a new options platform they're rolling out. But so it took a while to actually, you know, kind of get some traction there. And one of the ideas we came up with is that uh, I'm kind of a huge fan of synthetics. It's, you know, one of the protocols I mess around with a bunch, um, you know, starting out in DeFi and, and their founder, Ken Warwick is, you know, a huge uh, chess player. And so am I, incidentally. So this is something that I don't think a lot of people know about me. But, um, you know, kind of the the chess game that ended up setting up between Zeus and Kane. Uh, Kane's a, a very strong player of Blitz chess. So, you know, these games have a, a limited clock. And that's actually my favorite time format as well. So um, that's where that kind of came out of was some discussions on what could we set up and, you know, have an interesting conversation between two protocol founders and also another, you know, tidbit here, but one of the things that we have been looking to set up is, you know, maybe some DAO to DAO chess tournament. And it's an idea that I think, I think I would like, to take a look at a little bit more deeply. If there are any other Omis who are into chess, um, definitely hit me up. I'd be interested. To, you know, we need to have a strong showing here and and practice a bit. Oh, I'm I'm all for it. I only play Blitz because like that's the that's I only have the attention span for five minute games. Oh, me too. Exactly. Um, Do you so, play on? A- so I'd love to play. Yeah, I would play on Chess.com. So I'll definitely I can send you my my user and we can. Uh, we can we can get to playing, but I did see this really cool DAO coordination chess game. I have to try and find. I have to try and resurface it. It's like a um, you play as a uh, DAO, for example. We could like a certain department could play, and the whole idea is to like um, try and work on like coordination and communication. I, I think I had brought it up in um, some kind of channel a long time ago, but I can try find the uh, the article or the the game itself i feel like that could be interesting yeah i think i think that one is like you have a like a snapshot vote for each move right jesus that would that would take a very long <laughs> yeah. time um <laughs> we need we need on-chain governance asap um i think i think that would make make things a little bit smooth uh, that make things smoother before i before we kind of wrap things up i know we've touched on a lot of text but do you you know what is your what are your? Where does Olympus go from here? Where do you think we'll be in six months' time? Considering we've only been around for six months, what's the next six months look like for Olympus? Well, I think in the next six months, I think you can expect Ohm to be on a lot more platforms around DeFi. I think for Olympus Pro, I think easily six months from now we'll have, you know. 30 to 50 protocols using Olympus Pro for their liquidity and also 
potentially some other interesting novel use cases that we've been discussing with different protocols as well, where, you know, at least for Olympus, liquidity bonds are only one part of the bond mechanism. So I think it might be pretty surprising to see some of the use cases that protocols are you know, coming to us asking about, you know, can Olympus Pro be used for this? And I think that's going to be something um, just absolutely fascinating to keep an eye on. And and that's without even getting into cross-chain and, you know, actually having Olympus, Olympus Pro on, on different chains in the future. Um, I think there's a lot to look forward to over the next six six months. You heard it here first, Omis. Um, I wouldn't be fading, fading text in this situation. Um, what final, final question? What advice would you give to people who are interested in getting involved in the space um, but don't know how to make the leap? Yeah, um, I actually was listening to a talk about DAOs and contributing at a DAO um, by one of the members from DAO House, actually, and the piece of advice that he gave, and this was after I had already started contributing at Olympus. Um, one of the other lesser known things is that I actually applied to a different DAO earlier this year, um, kind of interested in the space and there was a job listing and I looked at it like, Oh, you know, let me get my resume together and apply to this with a cover letter, you know, saying, you know, I know I haven't worked in crypto before, but eager to learn and, you know, point me in this direction. And needless to say, I think that's not really what contributing to a DAO looks like. Um, it looks a lot more like this gentleman from DAO House mentioned of, you know, ask for forgiveness, not for permission to start contributing. There's so many different areas for people to make a difference at, you know, your favorite protocol, whatever it is. It can be Olympus. It can be another protocol you're interested in. Um, it's really, really incredible the number of smart, motivated people who are in crypto in general. And wherever you feel like you can make an intro, make a difference. Um, just hop in and start contributing. You know, le- leveraging whatever unique skill set you have, and I think, I think you would be really surprised to see the kind of reception that you know protocols will give you. Because I know that I was very, very surprised at you know kind of the positivity and engagement that I got when I kind of got over that hurdle of, you know, just lurking and, you know, reading versus um, actually contributing and kind of bringing my own ideas to the table. Yeah, it's a permissionless space for a reason. You don't need to ask for for anyone's input before you uh, jump in and contribute. We love that. I think that's it, Tex. Where, did, where, can, um, where can the Omis uh, find you at? Um, on Aeon socials? Uh, yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. I don't really do a whole lot on Twitter, to be honest. Um, 
I'll engage with some threads every now and then. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about stuff, but frequently doesn't make it down to actually typing them out. Um, but I'm at zero X on Twitter and otherwise, you know, my DMS are always open in the DAO. Um, pretty active in discord and really love seeing, you know, new homies kind of hop in and, you know, see where their ideas can contribute to the DAO. Awesome. We'll um, throw that one in the show notes for anyone who, or you, you definitely will be needing to go follow Tex. He'll be posting all these crazy threads now that we've uh, going to hold it, hold him to it. Um, <laughs> um, thank you, Omis, for joining us for this interview of the week. Um, and we'll see you later this week for the news of the week. See you, Omis. Thanks, guys. 